What's up you guys and welcome to Phil Am's Story, where I will be sharing my experiences growing up as a Filipino-American in the United States, specifically in the state of California. This will be the first of many episodes, and this one in particular. I will mainly share three stories of my life that are about the language, academic and career expectations, and the Filipino culture of disciplinary actions. Like many quote-unquote minorities here in the United States, my parents and most of my family immigrated from a different country to the United States in search of a better life. Several decades ago, during the 1960s to the 1990s, a company sponsored my uncle to work as an aerospace technician in the United States. However, while he was sponsored to be in the US, he was working on getting his US citizenship so he can get my father and the rest of his siblings to the US from the Philippines. Once my uncle obtained his US citizenship status, he petitioned my father and the rest of his siblings to the US. After my father and my other relatives came to the US, they filed for a citizenship and waited for a few years, and they eventually received their U.S. citizenship status. Also, keep in mind that citizenship processes have changed in the last several decades, so I currently do not know how long the process takes, so you might want to consult with a professional lawyer that specializes in immigration policies. On my mother's side, however, none of them except my mom went and stayed in the U.S. My mother was originally from Nueva Ecija, Philippines, but she wanted to find work somewhere else. She worked at Hong Kong for several years as an overseas worker before she and my father officially met in the U.S. And now some of you guys might be asking, what do you mean by officially met? Before the internet, people sent letters, which would often take months or weeks to get in person. My father had a common friend with my mother at this time. This common friend was the ultimate wingman, because my father would give letters to this common friend, and this common friend would give the letter to my mother, because the common friend was able to frequently go back and forth to the US and Hong Kong. Long story short, my mom and my dad got married, and I was born in California. Also, to clarify a few things, my dad was already a U.S. citizen by the time he got married to my mother, so my mother was also able to permanently stay in the U.S. Also, since I was born in the U.S., that would also make me a natural-born U.S. citizen. So what does this all have to do with what it's like growing up as a Filipino-American in the United States? The short answer to this would be, like many diverse ethnic groups out there that immigrated away from the original country to the U.S., they brought a legacy of their culture, food, and their own way of speaking while adapting to the American lifestyle. Therefore, in my case, it was like living a double life. I personally felt I had a double life growing up because at home, I would speak fluent Tagalog, which is a language most Filipinos commonly use. But when I go out in public, I mainly use English to speak with cashiers, classmates, teachers, and etc. I also initially thought that being able to naturally transition from speaking Tagalog to English and vice versa was a common thing to do in the US. But boy, was I wrong. When I was about seven years old, my aunts and uncles would try to talk to me in English, but they were struggling to come up with grammatically correct sentences or questions. Therefore, as the benevolent boy that I was at the time, I decided to speak directly to them in Tagalog. If I were to describe my aunt and uncle's reaction, their expression went from shocked to amazed and then laughter as if they won the lottery or something. They would then proceed to ask my parents how I was able to speak Tagalog in English. My parents' response would be that at home, we all mainly speak Tagalog to communicate and watch Filipino shows from TFC and GMA. But outside of the house, I would speak in English, which was mainly for school. At school and outside of the house, I was always speaking English, which makes sense because if I spoke in Tagalog, no one would be able to understand me. Therefore, by having been exposed to two languages at an early age and being exposed to this kind of environment, I was able to quickly switch back and forth from English and Tagalog. To this day, it's still the same. I speak English whenever I feel that it is necessary and when I am not at home. Although there will be some words that I don't know in Tagalog at home, so I use the English words instead for convenience. I like to call these phrases or sentences Taglish because it's a combination of Tagalog words and phrases with some English words. 
In terms of having a Tagalog accent whenever I am speaking in English, there would be some instances when that would happen whenever I get nervous or when I speak very quickly to someone in English. However, I don't really care about whether or not I have an accent whenever I speak because that is part of who I am and how I grew up. What I care about is that my point or message gets across to someone without any misunderstandings. Plus, being bilingual or multilingual has its perks because if you're traveling and you get lost, you can communicate with locals directly and they can help you out for directions. But I'll save that story for some other time. Aside from the double life situation, there was also this expectation growing up that I was going to pursue something in the field of medicine, like becoming a doctor, nurse, or a pharmacist. I also apparently hear about this particular field in a lot of communities. I honestly do not know where that mentality comes from, that you need to pursue medicine to make money and to be successful. But my assumption would be that these career choices are needed by society and they pay very well, which is why there is this push for their kids living in the US to pursue such a career. Now, let's get something straight. I respect and appreciate medical professionals for the hard work they have to go through just to save lives while risking their own life, especially during the pandemic. However, I personally feel like being a doctor or pursuing something in the field of medicine was not for me because I get squeamish around blood and I do not want to be responsible for someone's life. My parents, on the other hand, initially did not understand why I wanted to reject being a doctor so badly because they thought I was some kind of genius of some sort, getting scores above an A- and never really failing at anything at school. They also thought it was a waste of talent and potential if I wanted to pursue something else. So for me, having this expectation floating over my head growing up of becoming a doctor was a burden, it was annoying, I was unhappy, and I also wanted to curse on my parents at the time. There was also this constant need of trying to prove myself to them so that they would listen to me with whatever I had to say to them. However, don't get me wrong, having this kind of negative reinforcement growing up did help grow my ambitions and wanting to do more with my life, but at the cost of my own mental health. It was not until I was in 11th grade that I saw an opportunity to escape pursuing a degree in the field of medicine. My parents mainly wanted two things from the admission process. First, they heavily emphasized the importance of choosing a university close to home, while the second criteria was choosing a degree related to medicine. I researched how much it would cost for me to pursue becoming a doctor and compared it with obtaining an engineering degree. I tried to reason with them that if I decided to go with a medical degree, I would be in more than $100,000 in debt for several years. And I said that if I get an engineering degree, I would technically make more money in a shorter amount of time and the tuition will be mostly covered by CalGrant because of my low income standing. Now, the only reason that I made those comparisons were because my parents and I were conflicting over what university to attend. And my parents said that they want me to be practical so I turned the tables on them and found a way out of being a doctor by using our economic situation as an excuse because we were basically living on the edge, paycheck to paycheck at the time. The main takeaway that I learned from this experience was you really need to understand and gauge your family's financial situation in order to make the best decision for yourself. In my case, I thoroughly knew that my family's financial situation was pretty bad, so I used that as leverage for a compromise because at the end of the day, parents want two things, their child to get a degree and for them to become successful. Therefore, if you know how your parents will react or think and you can make a sufficient compromise, then you can potentially try to get yourself out of an unreasonable expectation and situation. If they still won't budge, well, you just gotta tough it out, graduate and pursue something else. In a somewhat related note, I'm going to talk about disciplinary actions that Filipino parents dish out on their kids. Now some of you guys are probably asking, how is this somewhat related to academic expectations? <laughs> it has everything to do with academic expectations. Have you ever wondered growing up why there is always that one Filipino or Asian kid getting scores beyond 90%? It's because of fear. In many traditional Asian households, kids are pretty much expected to bring in high grades growing up. Otherwise, they potentially don't eat, they get shamed by family members, or they get smacked in the face. Sometimes Asian kids are guilt-tripped because their parents would often say that they immigrated thousands of miles 
just for their children to receive a B or worse, an F on the report card. Academics is more of an internal struggle in an Asian family, and it's mainly about bragging rights between family members, survival, and personal dignity. However, in a Filipino household, parents have a whole arsenal of weapons ranging from the chinelas, otherwise known as slippers, broom, clothes hanger, ruler, and the belt to instill discipline and fear onto their kids. If you were acting out and playing pranks on your parents, you would get hit by the chinelas or the clothes hanger on your butt. If you did something very bad, you would get hit by the belt or the broom. Ouch. There was this one vivid instance growing up where my parents would smack my hand using a ruler because of poor academic performance back in kindergarten. Some of you guys are probably like, wait, kindergarten? Are you kidding me? Yeah, so back in kindergarten, I attended a private school that was a few blocks away and my parents were barely able to send me there from Monday through Friday because the tuition was expensive each month. And for some context, this private school was a Catholic school that had several floors, which were divided into different grades. The first few floors were dedicated to kindergarten through fourth grade students, while the last floors were dedicated to fifth through eighth grade students. The private school was so old that there were rumors of ghost stories floating around amongst the students and staff, and it's a place where you should not be anywhere near at night. Now some of you guys are like, well duh, why would you be at an old Catholic school at night anyways? I'll leave that story for another time. Anyways, back in kindergarten, I was this ball of energy that would just talk to anyone that I see or meet. My talkative nature at the time landed me in very tough situations. I would often talk over the teacher and it got so bad that I ended up receiving a timeout during recess. For a little kid, having a timeout was basically the equivalent of feeling like you're going to jail. My timeout would be to sit inside the classroom and watch my friends outside during recess. How sad is that? That's not even the worst part. We had a math quiz on the same day with no warning and we did not receive any homework prior to this to help us prepare for the quiz. So I was sitting there with my little tiny legs on the chair and scratching my head with a pencil trying to remember what 9 plus 5 was and what the X mark meant between the two numbers from the extra credit question. Little did I know it was a multiplication symbol which wasn't supposed to be taught yet at a kindergarten level. After handing in that BS quiz and a whole several hours of listening to the teacher talk, they magically graded the quiz on the same day and gave it back to us. The teacher was calling our names individually and we were supposed to walk over to them and line up so we can pick it up. They would call out names like John, Emilia, Michael, Mike, Elizabeth, Ryan, Smith, and then my name got called. My palms were sweaty, my knees were weak, and my arms felt like I was carrying bricks as I walked to my teacher for the quiz. By the time I reached my teacher, I reached out for the quiz and looked at the score. My heart sank and I knew I was going to receive the punishment of my life. I got a D on that quiz. After school, my dad came to pick me up so that we can go home. Once we got home, I ran up the stairs and tried to hide that quiz inside my backpack in a small compartment so that I can forget about it. My mom was not home yet because she had a night shift that day. However, the next day, it turns out my mother opened my backpack and looked through it because my mother was silently waiting for me. The quiz was sitting on the table. There was also a wooden ruler on the table. The first thing that my mother told me to do was sit on the couch near the table and hold out my hands facing down. I was thinking, yep, I'm going to be whacked on the hand with a wooden ruler today before going to school. My mother immediately grabbed the wooden ruler on the table, got up, and told me that I missed 7 points out of 15. And for every point that I missed, my mother whacked my hand 7 times with the ruler 
each strike becoming progressively harder. She then tossed the book filled with addition and multiplication questions that was like 30 pages long with 20 problems on each page and told me to do 10 problems a day. If I didn't do what she said, my hands would get whacked by a wooden ruler based on the number of problems that I didn't do for the day. Talk about tough love. At the time, I didn't understand why it was necessary to hit my hands with a ruler because of poor academic performance, but I ended up carrying that traumatizing experience growing up that it was very important to do well in school. Now, do I approve of using negative reinforcement in order to get kids to learn? No way. However, I can understand that this was the only way that my mother knew of raising a child because of how they were raised back in the Philippines, so I couldn't blame her. The main takeaway that I got from this experience was that it was necessary to have some discipline growing up, which meant taking the time to actually learn something new every day or every other week. And that's it for this podcast. I hope you guys found my stories interesting as I will start sharing more stories about what it's like growing up as a Filipino American. Thank you for your time and for tuning in.